Hey everyone, my name is Matt Trumbull, the North and South American Sales Director for WomCure. We sincerely appreciate your patience and understanding earlier as we work through a technical issue with the initial broadcast of the webinar. We're thrilled you stuck around with us and we promise the rest of this webinar will be glitch-free and loaded with amazing insights. Today's topic is crucial in the ever-evolving landscape of data management. Transitioning our mindset from simply having more data to better data. It's not just about collecting massive amounts of information anymore. It's about how we can streamline our approach to focus on quality and relevancy. This critical shift holds significant potential for enhancing our business processes and decision-making. And we're excited to delve into it with all of you. In this important discussion, I'm not alone. I have the pleasure of being joined by an expert in the field who's made a substantial impact in ag tech throughout her career. In just a few moments, you will meet her. And I'm excited to introduce Libba Stanford, a strategic advisor with the K2 Group with a remarkable career spanning over 25 years. She has continuously looked to data to improve our business processes. Her profound insights and extensive experience make her the perfect guide for today's conversation. If you have not had the opportunity, please do take some time and reach out and connect with her on LinkedIn. Our aim in this webinar is to offer not just an engaging conversation, but also provide some practical insights you can implement in your own professional pursuits. We hope that you'll find the discussion enriching and leave with a fresh perspective on the power of better data. Once again, we thank you for your patience and for staying with us. We're just about to transition over to the webinar where we'll dive into this fantastic topic with the amazing Libba Stanford. Now, let's dive into this discussion on the dynamic world of data. Thank you. So kind of going back to what I was saying before that echo, um, before that echo really took control there, um, when you're working with different types of, when you're working with different roles within a company, um, you're going to learn that good data is actually going to mean different things from different people. And so I put in a little bit of a, um, a PowerPoint slide here just to kind of walk through a little bit of what uh, good data could potentially mean to different roles. And so with that being said, um, as we're looking at this, we can see a couple different things. Um, if you're talking to a data scientist or a data governance type of role, they're going to be focused more on the data meeting the internal standards. And Libba, after we move through this, you can talk about that difference between what a data scientist and a data governance standard really means because you have some good examples there. But then if we're also looking at marketing managers, we may be looking at good data or up-to-date and comprehensive customer information. If we're talking with a C-suite executive, then we may consider good data to be 
accurate and timely and relevant business intelligence that we can then take and use to make important business decisions. And then we also have potentially operations. Um, within the operations field, we may be looking at good data being precise, reliable, and real-time information that can improve our various operational processes, as well as identify bottlenecks, inefficiencies, and potential opportunities for improvement. And so with each role, good data is going to mean slightly different things, but overall, good data is talking about cleansing that data and answering the main question. And I'm kind of going to pass this over to Liva for a minute here because she has a great explanation on the difference between data scientists and data government standards and everything like that. So go ahead, Liva. So this is one of my favorite type of questions because I'm going to go back to it is truly all about the context of what are you trying to accomplish? And if we go back and we talk about the data scientist, and sometimes I refer to it as the algorithm creators, right? Because it's all data science. It's in people refer to data science frequently as the algorithm creators, but in reality, it's the full picture. It's the whole ecosystem, right? And so when you're talking to people in your organization, clean data may mean different things to them. And one of the key things you got to watch out for in those conversations is not upsetting someone by calling their data dirty because we don't necessarily understand the context. Uh, and I want to give you um, a really good example, right? If I'm I was working with an algorithm creator one time, and he told, and I pride myself on good, clean, ready to analyze data. Um, he said, I had to clean your data. And I, what do you mean you had to clean my data? My job is to make sure it never has to be cleaned by anyone. And, and of course, I was on the side of managing the full pipeline of data governance, rule setting. And it really was just a difference in context and understanding. We needed soil, that's S-O-I-L, for those people who do not speak Southern. Um, we needed soil data for some of the work we were doing. And the difference was when the data scientist, the algorithm creator received the data, a lot of the soil data was not there. And he referred to that as dirty data from our perspective on the other side of it was that data is not available because you don't always have access to the soil data from a grower. And so what could have potentially been like a tense situation, there needed to be just a lot of clarity to understand what dirty data is and what it's being used for. And this was really one of our core data sets for our growers. And so being able to just say, okay, not available data is not the same as data that is missing or didn't get filled in or didn't meet the standards. And so in the context of that, 
that's where those conversations can get really difficult and you've got to address the context of the data and what are you using it for and what's it going to be and this conversation is relevant to every single division in the company 100 percent, and i think you nailed it on there with that last point as well which is what's the key across the board it's understanding the context and the problem you're trying to solve and understanding people's questions that they need answered. Exactly. And I think that actually leads me into a really nice next question here, which is, um, can you share some common misconceptions about the notion that more data equals better data? Yes, I can. This is one of my favorite stories. And if you've been in ag tech, you may have gone through this experience with me. Um, so yield monitors on, on combines traditionally have collected data at one second intervals. Now, if you've never seen a combine or you hadn't been out there in the field with one, that's not even a full rotation of the tire. So it's a lot of data. I mean, a whole lot of data, even at one second intervals. And so, you know, you've got a small field that you're already collecting maybe 10,000 data points on. And it's dirty. And not just from the dirt, it's dirty data. And there are people who have written PhDs on the cleaning process of yield monitor data. So it's pretty wide known in the industry. I don't know if it's the dirtiest data out there in the world, but I would argue it's pretty close. And so being able to work with yield monitor data is significant, right? For many, many, many reasons, because it's used for a lot of different things. Well, in 2018, John Deere, and this is not a, 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 a peck at John Deere, they're great, everybody loves Deere, but they decided to start collecting and putting out data at, at five hertz, which means we went from one hertz to five hertz and 0.2 second data. But the problem was there wasn't any more quality control of that data in collection. So we went from 10,000 points to 50,000 points overnight and there was no immediate value in what we were getting and as a matter of fact it was skewing the results that we were seeing from the data for our context this was a really bad thing because not only was it had it um really just bombarded our system with five times our estimate of what we needed for that season John Deere brought down their own cloud. I don't know if that's public knowledge or not, but that is what happened. Um, they, of course, they got it back up and running, but what it, it actually caused a delay in data transfer for two weeks for a lot of people. And like a lot of data just got lost in the air because we there's still not really an explanation of where it went to. And so... For our context, we were trying to understand every single environment within the field. So spatial integrity of that data was critical to us. And, and now we had data all over the place. 
And it may be right. It may not be right. And so we had to very rapidly adjust what we were doing to accommodate this new amount of data that was not giving us any additional value, but causing us a lot of heartache. Um, I don't know what their strategic initiative was behind that, but I talked with others in the industry and they were not gaining value from it either. And there are times when it would have been fine. If you're looking for the average and you need to submit it for your crop insurance, that's going to be fine. It really is because it's all going to work out and you've got a pretty big leeway there. But if you needed to understand very intricately the mechanisms of the environment, it was not going to work anymore. <laughs> not like you've been doing it before. And so that's a really good example of more data may not be what you need. And, you know, we, it caused a lot of bottlenecks. It just, it really was, you know, in that scenario, it wasn't helpful. Well, I think too, on that note as well, it sounds like the front line or even you within the data collection component didn't truly understand what that data was to be used for and how each portion of that data was going to answer your questions. And so I think one follow-up question on here that I do have as well um, is how do you think they, let, let me actually feed this into my next question because I think it lines really well with it, which is how can organizations both identify and answer those important questions on what better data is from the vast amount of information they are Matt, I think they said if you'll put um, on mute, it cancels the echo both ways for uh, for the audience. Okay, so um, how do you? I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? I I looked over at my notes, guys, and I for lost my place. How, yeah, how can we get from more data to better data and helping people recognize what that looks like? It is all about the context again. What are you trying to do? You know, one of the things that was really big in the ag tech industry and, and still is that I'm seeing is that people are, pu they push for more data and they push for more data and they push for more data. And there is, and across our industry, there's no standardization. And in that push for more data, you've got a lot of the ag companies that have become data deliverers, but they haven't become data solution providers per se. Mm -hmm. And where the, I believe the failure or the disconnect is happening is we're not really trying to understand what are the problems that the growers are having? And because of that, we collect all of this data and we give it back to them, but we're not really solving their problems. And what I mean is a grower is a business person 
And there are many, many, many decisions that go into what they are going to do in any given season. And they have to personally think about marketing, banking, financing, chemical interaction, and you name it. If you think of a big business today, that farmer's doing that. And rarely are we looking at that whole context of putting it all together. And so, but we're just throwing data at them. Let me give you another map, sir. And so it really is, what is my problem? And if your problem is crop insurance, all you need is an average. If your problem is, I got some fields in my, I got some spots in my fields that are holding water and I don't know what to do about it. And I'm losing 15 bushels in that area. That's a whole different problem. Mm -hmm. Same customer. Yep, exactly. And, and with that too, I mean, I think that the other component with that, there's, there's two things you nailed on there. First being speaking with the frontline worker. I mean, I think that is something companies forget about on a regular basis because those frontline workers, they're the ones essentially collecting the data. They're the ones experiencing the data and they're the ones seeing the outcomes of what we're doing with the data. And so they really have that full picture of, of information that we can question and pull answers from and better strategize and build out a plan. And I think the other piece with that too is the fact that you're also talking about a little bit of a cultural shift as well within a company. And, and what I mean by that is if you're not talking with the frontline workers and you are simply just implementing these different data collections, expecting to um, improve your processes or improve your information, um, what you're doing is you could be solving a problem without knowing what the problem is, but what you're really doing is throwing darts at a board. And as a result, you are potentially causing the individuals, whether you're in the frontline, middle management, whatever, they will start to feel like they are not being heard. They'll get frustrated. They'll feel less trusting of the company because they know there's these different ways we can answer these questions or collect this data, but no one's taking it into consideration. And, and so with that being said, you know, I think um, frontline workers are one key group we really need to have on board when we are answering these questions. And, and so that really does lead me into another question I really have, and that is, we're talking about the frontline workers right now. We're talking about their importance in the process, right? But for a process to be implemented, you have to persuade the key stakeholders within the company. And so how can we persuade key stakeholders to shift that focus from data quantity to data quality? I love this conversation because I'm a big proponent of talking to the frontline people. Unfortunately, very often they're very far removed for, from and disconnected from the actual decision makers. And anything that they are saying gets heavily filtered as it goes through those communication channels. 
and you can see a lot of issues with that and how they arise and the confusion that takes place. Big proponent of talking to the people who are with it, doing it every single day. Now, you know, you asked me the question, how, how do you do this? I, I'm going to tell y'all about a time I failed because I think we can all learn more from that than any of my uh, successful endeavors because this one still sticks in my head and I bring it up frequently to remind me myself, you need to understand the context of every person you're talking with, every one of them. You've got to become an investigator. And so very early in my career, I had been hired to uh, come into a company. It was in the, it was new day. It was, you know, we were new to digital and we didn't have all the terms. Like I talked about before about how to explain the things that we were doing. And I, I frequently myself search for a lot of words anyway. And so being able to communicate all the right things was not, um, natural for me in that environment. So I, I get called in, I'm asked to create an algorithm based on data to put seed where it will grow best so that it reaches its genetic potential. Some grow better in soft soil or clay or some grow better here, there and yonder. And so I was brought in to actually create the algorithm that would do this. The data that they were giving me to work with also was used for things like marketing, pricing. We had a ge geographic based pricing model and um, sales and then decisions about which products would go into full commercial launch, right? In the next couple of years. So a lot of decisions were being made off of this data set that I had been given. And I started good data person. I said, it's geographic data. We're going to validate the location of it just to make sure we're even starting in the right environment. And I started looking at the data and it wouldn't validate. 75% of this data was not in the place that it was reported to be taken from. And so, I, you know, I'm constantly getting asked, well, how's that model coming? What are, you know, so they brought me into the, the leadership team to present my findings to date. And I'm ready. I'm excited. This is my first time going up in front of leadership. And I, in my typical fashion, very black and white, dry, scientific self, slap a map up. And I say, the green dots are the data we're going to be able to work with. The red dots, not so much. And here's why. And in that instant in the room, you could feel the veil of silence and um, turn off to, to what I was saying. And I had done it because I didn't understand that I needed to take the time and communicate that for the marketing lead, this is what it's going to do to your marketing. For the pricing team, here is what is happening to pricing. Um, for the research team, what that meant for them. And I didn't address everybody 
to their context. And all it would have taken is one complete context statement for each one of those groups. I didn't even think to do it. And I, looking back now, I'm like, oh, that was so bad. But what I can say is I learned from it. I had a mentor who took me through the process of sitting down and actually beginning to understand exactly which piece, doing the math. We found an astronomical savings in our operational expenses with way wagons. And so what I had done by essentially going into this room of PhD agronomic people and saying your data is bad, there's no greater insult to them. <laughs> I fully understand. Yeah, essentially you put a wall up. And I think that kind of goes back to what we talked about in that initial slide, which is when you're talking data, when you're talking results, when you're talking context, that's going to tie back and be different for every conversation you're having within a company. If you're talking with um, financial individuals, you might be looking at the ROI. If you're talking with sales individuals, you might be looking at improving sales, uh, incoming warm leads or metrics improvements. Uh, it, it just ties back to those individuals' roles and understanding the important components within that and the questions they need answered to be able to provide the results that they're looking for. Oh, I was just agreeing. Absolutely. Okay, sure. You know, there's to me, there's no greater data skill than being able to do that and understand the context of everything. Yeah. And I think, too, that kind of also a good example of that one as well. Um, I'm going to take one of your stories because this kind of ties back to this whole conversation piece. You were talking with Ph.D. individuals within that role. Do you want to touch on, you know, another example of when you were looking at data and you were having a conversation, how you had to alter your conversation, such as uh, that story you told me with the CFOs and how you were doing trials for eight to nine hours a day and you started to look at the data you decided with the yield monitoring and how that improved the results. Yeah, so I have two really great stories on that. I'm gonna go with the second one. Um, we were, I was with a startup and these are brilliant people. However, they didn't have an infrastructure at all. And they were writing algorithms at night and emailing data and algorithms back and forth to one another and you doing all the work individually on their laptop computers. And I, I looked at it and I was like, we, they couldn't grow the business. They couldn't get their billing. I mean, there were just so many issues. And these guys are not data wranglers, right? They are agronomists and that's their skill set. And they're tying up eight or nine hours a day after their eight or nine hours in the field with a grower shuffling data. So what we were able to do is really focus on all of the key steps that they were doing. And I had to sit with them for weeks to understand that because people don't tell you everything. 
and I had to, and my favorite question with them was, no, I think there's something more. Are you sure? Let's do this again. Let's walk through that again. And I, over the course of several weeks, I was able to learn exactly what they were doing. We were able to take that process and build the foundational operational system to support it. We took that process down to 30 seconds for them and a click of a button or an upload of a boundary file. And so the financial savings and the ability to grow exploded in that, in that context. Well, and I think that kind of actually ties with a question we have from an audience member here um, in talking about the financial increases in growth within the company. Uh, we have a question here, which is, what about the job risk implications? Um, I guess I'm, are we talking about the risk of bad data or the risk of not doing something. Uh, I, I'm a we can hear Stevie, uh, if you want to throw an extra comment in there about what specific component you're referring to with the job risk implement implications, I can understand where you're going with this. But just to clarify, if you could add a little more context to that one. Um, I can say in that particular context, the risk of them not going in the right direction with that and setting up that foundational infrastructure, they were going to burn out. Well, I mean, you think about the people, the processes, the technology, right? The people were going to burn out. They couldn't grow and they were getting to a point where they couldn't service their customers in the way that they wanted to, right? Because of the amount of work it was taking to actually get the results they were looking for. So the risk to them was actually failure of the company as a whole over time, or there would be no growth. So that was a huge risk. Um, I'm reading the question real quick. So our marketing department is grown, has grown in team size based on the customer based, which is based on data. You know, the data is based. <laughs> That's a huge risk. Um, and, you know, my mind is reeling in ways that you could work with that to actually work with the right decision makers to talk about what is bad about the data and what is the risk to your company's reputation first, your customer's experience. Because I'm going to tell you, if people have to work to buy your product, because you've got a bad customer experience, they're not going to buy it. They have options. And if working with you, and that's where a lot of the frustration comes from, especially from the frontline workers. So there is, there is risk all the way up and down. And I think, too, with that note, when you're talking job risk implement implications as well, when you're talking cleaning your data, there's always going to be a risk of you may not need as many marketers as you currently have because your customer base is showing 50,000. But in all actuality, after you've done the data cleaning, the deduplication, the matching, so on and so forth, 
you may be closer to 30,000 customers that was just input incorrectly or added incorrectly. And so I think that's kind of a factor you're gonna have to deal with. If you want to take that step of improving your data, you're gonna have to face the fact that we have bad data right now. We have to improve that data and then moving forward, maintain that quality data. And in regards to those particular roles that may have to be reduced because of that, they don't necessarily have to be reduced per se. They could be reallocated to working on outbound marketing campaigns or other other uh, forward-thinking goals that you want your marketing team to attack. So I think that that's another piece with it. You know, this uh, leads into something and I, that I... I'm a big proponent of, and that's a uh, master data management for companies. If I was ever going to put in a plug for master data management, it's these types of situations. And if you don't have one, start the documentation, get the context together and start working on it, even if you must do it at a grassroots level. And I want to give you an example. And Stevie, this may be something that's happening with you guys. And that's why there's a, a disconnect. It happens in big companies. It happens in little bitty companies where you're highly focused on making sure it doesn't happen. But I was with the company. We were in a really high growth phase we had um, built the foundational system for operational purposes. We had put in extra design mechanisms to make it work with other systems we may need to eventually build, which would have been a customer relationship management, um, financing and billing. But during this period of rapid growth, communication broke down. We've got really fast deadlines. Everybody's trying to get the work done. And in that, we ended up with two customer databases, one for operations and one for sales, targeting, marketing. And the it was a big issue because in the, the customer sales database, it was kind of a free for all, really. They could spell whatever they wanted to spell anyway. There wasn't a check to see if that grower already existed in the operational database. Um, and so, and they could put in, I don't know, 2,500 acres as the target for that grower. And we would already have the grower, but they weren't connecting different spellings of the names and Maybe, and we had physical boundaries, so we were able to calculate acreage very well, right? And so maybe the girl really only has, I don't know, 1,700 acres maybe, or 2,200 acres. And what would happen is sales forecasting would significantly get um, inflated based on our acreage, right? Well, that impacts budgets that impacts hiring, that impacts the goals that the board thinks you're going to meet in revenue generation. And so all of these things were happening and it had gotten so bad for us. At one point, it was taking at least one person full time a week every month 
to reconcile these two sets of data to even begin the billing process. And so it there the risk, they are everywhere if you don't do these things. You're on mute. Thanks. Um, this will also tie to um, tie both with your response, Lilla, as well as I think this will add in a little bit more um, conversational power for you, Stevie. Um, on one side, that example that you just shared, Libba, I mean, that's a, it clearly demonstrates the cascading impact poor data quality can have on a business. I mean, this can result in incorrect follow-up, information being incorrect, lack of trust from employees, and potentially as a result, lack of trust from your uh, customers. And, you know, when you're talking about data, you have to keep in mind data truly forms the backbone of many business processes. And so making that quality or that data become quality data is crucial. And also tying back to it, Stevie, with um, your question as well, you noted that you're being stonewalled by that director of that department. Another potential option um, that you could look at, and I, I highlighted it slightly in my response before, is when you go to that director, instead of saying, you know, we have this many team members working with this many customers, but really our customer database is this much smaller, what you're what that director is hearing you say is, I have to fire some of my team then, and I don't want to do that. That's not what they want to hear. And this goes back to the conversation, which is when you're having that conversation with them, instead of maybe saying they need to reduce their headcount because we don't really have as many customers as we appear to have, what you can instead say potentially is, we don't have as many customers within our database as we thought, but that allows us to reallocate. We have now some team members who can do what they were previously doing with that data within that database. And we can now take those other team members who are removed from that process and potentially use them for future thinking, future innovative ways to improve the marketing department. So that's another thought there is just when you're talking with them, instead of keeping it at, that high level, let them know it doesn't mean you have to fire your team. It means you can look at other ways of utilizing your team members. So that is another piece that I think um, kind of goes along with that, Stevie. And I think we have another couple of questions that popped in. Did we? Having personalized views. Do we want to touch on the role of technology real yes, quick? Yes, please. Yeah, let's, let's touch on that real quick. <laughs> So, so I think one final question before we start to wrap up here, which is what role does technology play in facilitating the shift from more data to better data? I love this. It's my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> Show of hands, who actually knows what this is? And, and if you're an ag, don't, don't tell everybody. I want to give people a second to think about it. This is cotton. Now, cotton has always existed in some variety, shape, or form forever, really. And it's cotton. It's a fiber. 
there is nothing we can do to change what cotton fiber is. We can't do anything to it chemically. Literally, what you have to do is burn it and to get rid of it, right? Because it, it is what it is. Now, the cotton picker doesn't exist for cotton. It doesn't exist simply to exist. And then we got cotton. It became a part of the process of cotton, but the real value is the cotton of itself. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit about cotton. It grows, you pick it, you put it on a truck, you send it to a gin, it's cleaned, it's divided, and then it is graded. And those grades of cotton mean something and they go to different purposes and are used for different things. So they may go to the uh, textile manufacturers, they may go to the medical community and they'll go all their different places based on that grade. The seed is sent somewhere else to do some other things with. And so it goes through this whole cleaning, transformation, distribution process. And when it gets to where it's going, it joins up with other cotton fibers to do their thing, who were also graded just like them for their purpose. So maybe you get a shirt, maybe you get a cotton swab, all the different things that you think of. Now, we used to hand pick cotton, right? But now we get to pick it with the yield monitor system that also gives us a visual rating of the quality of the cotton coming in at the same time. So the data, which is the cotton, that process has existed since we started farming cotton. The technology has improved to help facilitate that process. The value created in that entire stream is from the cotton, not from the technology. We're not growing cotton now because of the technology. We're finding ways with technology to better grow and provide cotton. And so data is, was, and will always be. It's there, it's been there around us forever. Our ca capacity to now measure that is what has increased analyze it and make use of it is what has increased so it's critical right but focusing on the data itself first that's what needs to happen i think sometimes people get wrapped up in the technology first and and that's when you end up with things like two customer databases that don't talk to each other Yep, exactly right. And uh, first off with that piece, I, I fully agree with you. I mean, data has always been around. We've always had data in some form, in some capacity. Technology is just really helping us isolate the different pieces of that data and sort it in different ways. The way I like to kind of envision it is the technology aspect is a funnel of sorts. You, you have different, you have the data coming into this funnel, it's spinning around, it's mixing up and it's coming out the other end. And that data um, from the other end is spit out in a way that leadership and team members can understand and visualize that data. 
So I think 100% uh, you nailed it, that data is always here. It will always be here. Technology is kind of the key to help us process in it, or uh, yeah, process the data and improve our processes within it. And also, I did also want to add, Shashi, that's a great uh, call out with the MDM piece. I agree. That's a perfect example. He said, um, he said he gets calls from his bank for a credit card. They don't know he already has a credit card from the same bank. It's a perfect daily example that we may experience from a company not having proper MDM um, or data quality processes implemented. And so I think at this point, you know, we're, we're really wrapping up. I don't want to keep talking on too many other topics at this point. Uh, I'll leave a couple minutes if anybody has some last minute questions that they want to throw in here. Uh, but I think I have two pieces uh, that I would like to wrap up with on this fact. One is showing a bit of a, a quick where do I start slide. It's, it's very high level, but I wanted to show you guys kind of the steps to collecting that data. And so with that, let me share my screen here. Really, you're going to start, I'll go through this quickly, you're going to start with identifying your data sources. You know, I think that um, that one of the key components here is you need to list and classify all your data sources within your company to begin with. Then you need to really analyze that data volume. You need to understand, is each source individual? Are there duplications? What does that look like? And then from there, you want to evaluate your data relevance. So you want to determine how relevant each data source is to your business operations. And is it asking those questions? Next, you would really want to look at the data completeness. So this is checking for missing or null values in your data set. You want to check for data consistency. So you want to look and verify that your data adheres to certain sets of standards or patterns. And finally, on this one, you want to ensure that data accuracy. And so with that, you're looking for truthfulness of the data collected. And finally, the final step, which is you want to take the time to clean your data using various tools. Obviously, WinPure Clean and Match is an ideal tool for your deduplication, standardization, and error corrections within your data. Um, but you want to take that time to clean that data. You also want to match that data and find those duplications, merge information where you can. Again, a powerful way to do that is with WinPure um, and other similar tools. And then finally, perform continuous improvement. You have to continuously spot check and update your routines to improve your data processes. And so with that, we have one minute left. I want to ask you one final question, Liva. And really, that question comes down to um, coming back to my first points within this webinar, which is if we want to improve our data quality, what's the biggest piece we need to focus on? The context. The context of the data. Why am I getting it? What am I using it for? I 100% agree. We need that context for it to be powerful and useful for us. I do want to tell everybody, just remind everyone, if you do have more questions or you do want some 
I love helping people. It's a lot of fun and I love learning about other industries. Please feel free to connect with me and send me a message. 100%. I think two things to wrap that up. One is 100% Libba has amazing um, information she can provide. She can advise you guys on so many different ways to improve your internal processes and get to the core question you're trying to solve with your data. And also from my side, you know, if, if any questions pop up on, uh, in regards to wind cure or for me in general, you can always feel free to reach out um, and, and we can kind of go from there. You know, Lib, I appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation with me. It's been, it's been always happy to do this. Libba doesn't know this, but down the road, I'll be inviting her back because we only got through about half of our questions we could have talked about. <laughs> We're talkers. Yep. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, you guys all have a great uh, Thursday. And um, again, follow up with either of us if anything it pops up or questions arise within. So thank you. And everybody have a great day. Thank you.